Uh, Acts chapter number 8, if you're able to stand. Uh, and we will read verses 26 through 31. Acts chapter number 8, and we're going to read verses 26 through 31. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all their treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you for this day. I thank you for our church. God, I pray right now that you would help me. I pray that you would clear my mind. I pray that you would help me to say the things that I should say, to leave off the things that I shouldn't. Lord, you know why you put this message on my heart, and you know who it is for. And Lord, I believe there's spiritual truth in every message for every believer. But God, I believe some things are specifically for specific people. And Lord, you know who they are. I pray that you'd work on their heart and help them to respond according to your will. God, I love you. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, there is nothing in this world that compares to a soul coming to Christ. I, I, I don't know how I can describe the feeling to you. Um, of course, you know how you felt when you got saved. And we know that we're not saved by feelings, amen? I'm glad about that, right? Uh, I'm glad I'm not married just because of feelings, amen? Because there's some days where I don't feel like my wife loves me. <laughs> and probably I deserve it, amen? But I'm not, I'm not married because of feelings. I'm married because of a decision that I made, amen? And you know what? I'm not saved because of feelings. I'm saved because of a decision I made to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But, you know, one of the greatest things that a person can ever experience is to see someone else come to Christ. I mean, if you've ever been there, that is, that's something I cannot describe, okay? It is something uh, I can't not accurately, articulately tell you this morning. But God is not an aloof deity that spun out of his fancy, uh, us out of his fancy, and then left us to our own devices. God loves us. He loved us enough to send his son Jesus to suffer and die and pay for our sins. He loved us enough to be adopted into his family. He loves us enough to forget our sins that we committed against him. 1 John 4.10 says it this way, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and send his son to be a propitiation for our sins. I love that verse. Amen. And by the way, I like Bible words, you know. And It's funny, I have people tell me sometimes, oh, preacher, I just can't understand the words in the Bible, you know. Well, I don't, uh, I don't hear Elon Musk apologizing for talking in the terms he does about his artificial intelligence and Tesla. And people, that's called intellectualism. But to, to look up a word in the Bible, you know, we just, we shouldn't do that. We should make it easier. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. But anyway... That's just an aside. I'm not preaching on that this morning. But there's a word there in 1 John 4.10, propitiation. I like that word. By the way, it's a Bible word. It's a good word. 
Here's essentially what the word propitiation means, all right? I'll give you the uh, Kentucky redneck definition, all right? Jesus Christ changes the wrath of God against the sin of, in a person's life into the mercy of God ready to be extended because of his son. He becomes our mediator and our intercessor. I love that word propitiation. You see, to be propitious is to be ready to give mercy, to ready to extend favor. But in order to do that, you've got to like the person that you're going to extend the favor to, don't you? Now, I love all of my children. But there are times where they try your patience, don't they? Okay. And for me to hear a story about my son, and it will bring my wrath upon him, because I've heard what I've heard about him, and then for my wife to come to me and say, he came to me, he's sorry, he's asked for forgiveness, I've forgiven him, and I want you to forgive him. Now that doesn't mean he's going to escape all punishment. But it does change my attitude towards how I deal with him because she came to me on his behalf because he came to her. And he was truly sorry. And that is what Jesus did for us when he became our propitiation. You see, God's wrath was towards our sin. Why? Because we're all sinners. And we deserve to go to hell. It's what we deserve. But if we will trust in Jesus Christ and we will trust in his shed blood, he becomes the propitiation for us. And then God looks at us and he sees the blood of Jesus, just like we talked about last Sunday about the Passover. And all of a sudden, instead of extending wrath, he's ready to extend mercy. Amen. I love that word propitiation. Here's what I love about God. God loves people. You know, there's nobody too far gone. Second Peter 3, 9 tells us the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men Count slackness. What promise is this? Well, if it's 2 Peter chapter 3, it's the promise that the Lord will come again. The day of the Lord is at hand. But is long-suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God loves people. By the way, God loves all people. You know, in our world today, it's been popular, especially over the past couple of years, to figure out whose lives matter. I saw something one time that said, all people's lives matter, and if you have to put a color in front of it, then you're a racist. And it's true. If, if you have to sit there and argue with me that more than just everybody in the world matters, all right, you're a racist to some degree. God loves people. As the children's song goes, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. He proves this from biblical example, especially from real life stories in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then also in the book of Acts, the, the book of the first churches uh, of our Bible, the book of Acts. And here we see personal, powerful examples that there is not one kind of person that has not been extended the love of God. Today we are looking at one such story. Don't you like real life stories? Don't you like true stories? I mean, I, you know, I... I'm not 100% against TV. There's a lot of junk out there, obviously. But you know what? I really do like true stories. And you know what? What really disappoints me is when I think something is true, and then I get to the end and say, this is a fictitious story. And I'm like, what? Here I am believing all of this. And it never even happened. But I like, I like, I like World War II stories. I love those. I love war stories. I love you know, revolutionary war stories. I've got a book that we give away on Veterans Day sometimes called Fight On. It's just jam-packed full of short, true stories about survival, about the mill. I love those. Why? They're powerful. 
Have you ever heard, you know, we go around every now and then in church, we go around and somebody shares their testimony. And you know what? You know what? That is powerful when you share your testimony. Why? Because it is a, it is a true, real person giving a real testimony of their life. And so I say all that to say this. Let's not forget that when we read the Bible and we read these stories, these are real events that actually happened. Amen. These are real people. They're not this, this. So sometimes it helps me anyway to put myself into the story and to try to imagine what it would have been like. Now, I'm not. I'm not from there. Okay, I didn't grow up in Israel. I've never been to Pal- I've never been to Palestine either. Okay, I've never been to that area. I've never been to the Holy Land. And some people have, and that makes it more real to them. So what I try to do is I try to is, is try to put myself into the story and, and try to even apply it to to today. Because folks, you realize that Jesus Christ hasn't changed, but the nature of people really hasn't changed either. Now the story may have changed and the circumstances change, but you know what? A, a, a person comes to Christ the same way they always have, by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's how they do it. And so we're going to look at three things this morning from Acts chapter number 8. And we're going to look at the context. We're going to look at what's going on in the story. We're going to look at the conversion of this man. And then we're just going to, we're just going to conclude very simply. All right, number one. First thing, I'm going to get a drink of water, amen? I've been holding it in my hand, acting like I'm going to get a drink, and I just got to stop and do it. So let's look at verse number one. Now, here's what's going on. Of course, you know, in the book of Acts, chapter one, Jesus Christ is, is, is resurrected. He appears to the disciples. He gives them power. It says, after that, the Holy Ghost will come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. That was their job then, and it's still our job now, amen? But... Uh, in Acts chapter number 8, let's just start reading in verse number 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. Whose death? Stephen's in the previous chapter. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. So why did Philip go to Samaria? He went there because of persecution. And when the persecution came to the church of Jerusalem there, it kind of spread them out everywhere. Now I'm glad they didn't just go into hiding. I'm glad they went out preaching. Amen. By the way, when persecution comes, it ought to scatter believers and people ought to get out of their comfort zone. We've been talking about trouble on Thursday nights. Um, you know what? A little bit of trouble really isn't a bad thing. I mean, we think of it as a bad thing. We've been talking about Bible people on Thursday nights. But you know what? Oftentimes, trouble is, is in our lives because it causes us to have a dependence on God. And you know what? Sometimes that's, you know what? Hey, listen, you know what? I, I bet you there's going to be a lot of Christians praying awful hard this year. Why? It's an election year, right? There's a lot of trouble going on. There's a lot of, there's a lot of problems. You know, everybody, you know, 2015, 2016, Oh, you know, what is going to happen to America? And then President Trump gets elected, and it's like people just kind of went to sleep after that for four years. Like, oh, we're good. We're safe. We're fine. I don't think he solved all of our issues. By the way, I don't think if he takes four more years to solve all of our issues. Are you, are you say a preacher, are you against him? No, I'm not against him, folks. I'm just saying one president can't solve all of our problems in four years. Why? Because we're a nation that's wholly forgotten God. It's going to take a lot more than one president making, making some reasonable policy changes to right the ship in America. It'd start if we'd start teaching our young people that they, 
can't be a, a, a boy or a girl or a cat or whatever they want to be, and they came from God and were created by God, and God loves them and made them special and unique. That would help. Amen. And you know, But you know what? Right now in our schools, there, there are certain states that are in, introducing legislation to where if you as a parent tell your child they cannot transition, then you could go to jail for it. So our, our problem is, is a lot bigger than one presidential election. But you know what, folks, listen. Philip goes to Samaria through persecution, and he starts preaching it. Look at verse number, uh, look at, look at, continued, verse number six. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many, and many taken with palsies that were lame and were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Now I like, I like this passage. I like when Philip goes down to Samaria. He starts, he begins to go preach Christ. And you know what? He finds people that are eager for truth. Boy, you know what encourages me about church? As I, I find people that are eager for truth. Because you know what? Truthfully, there's a lot of people that aren't eager for truth. They don't want you to tell them the truth. They don't want to. They like their, they like their little lie that they've created that they call life. But I love coming into church because I see people that are eager for truth. Amen. I mean, you show up for Sunday school. And then you go to Sunday morning church. And then you come back on Sunday night. And then you come back on Thursday night. Why? And the world goes, you're crazy. I think they're crazy for running their kid to dance class and then to soccer practice and then to baseball practice and then to hockey practice and then to underwater basket weaving practice. And then to, I mean, I mean all sorts of stuff that people do. Now, I'm not against sports, okay? I played sports. I know you can't tell that from my physique, all right? It's been a few years. But, but you know what, folks? Truthfully, there's a lot of people who look at your devotion and your eagerness for truth, and they say, man, you're kind of crazy, aren't you? Now, it's okay to be a Christian. Just don't be, a little, just don't be too fanatical about it, all right? But, Philip, these people were eager for truth. By the way, they were getting help. And that's what the gospel should do, amen? It should help people, amen? The Word of God helps people. That's why you need to read it. That's why you just don't need to come in and get your spiritual life support from your pastor on Sunday mornings. That's why on Monday morning you ought to get up and you ought to read the Word of God. Amen. And you ought to feed yourself. I hope you don't just eat one day a week. Amen. You ought to feed yourself on the Word of God. These people were getting help. And I like verse number 8. There was great joy in that city. Now what is joy? And this is not our message this morning. This is all introduction. All right, This is all free. Okay, You don't have to pay me overtime for any of this. There is great joy in that city. Now, when, when you think of joy, some people think of the positivity and the happiness and the overthrowing, the, 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 the excitableness, the cheerfulness that just overflows. And that is all part of it, okay? But let's just be truthful. Not everybody is like everybody else, right? Amen. Some of people just naturally aren't overflowing, upbeat, kind of positive people all the time, all right? I tend to be more that way. Now, I'm not always that way, but I tend to be, it's pretty easy for me to be happy. Okay? Honestly, truthfully. Like, it, you, you're going to have to... I mean, you could shoot my cat and I would not be sad. Okay? All right? I'd probably rejoice and I'd help you. No, anyway. But you know what? Truthfully, I know cat people. All right. I'm going to duck under the pulpit here. But, but truthfully, truthfully, that is not what the Bible talks about when it talks about joy. The actual literal definition of the word joy there is a calm cheerfulness. And you know, folks... These people were in persecution. I mean, there was Saul going around in Jerusalem wrecking havoc, dragging women and children and men off to prison and just destroy and, 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 
But when the gospel came to Samaria, which wasn't too far away from Jerusalem, there was great joy. Why? Because you know what? As bad as this world gets, there's a comfort in knowing that when I die, I'm the, the, my last breath on earth, my, when my eyes close in death, uh, my eyes are going to open up and I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, what do I have to really worry about? Why do I have to be sad? I mean, I don't, I don't really have to. I mean, yeah, there's problems and troubles and burdens. But you know what? I have joy because when the gospel comes to town and the gospel comes to your heart, it gives you joy. Why? Because no matter how bad America gets, this world is not my home. I am just passing through. Amen. There was great joy. Joy is the delight of the mind that comes from present or assured approaching possession of a good. I like that definition of joy. When God comes into someone's life, he changes them. He gives them joy unspeakable. But then we see something else. We see not only is, is Philip come to town and he's preaching and, and things are exciting and, and Philip's having a revival and people are getting saved and people are getting helped and uh, people are getting healed. I mean, this is, a, I, you know, I'm not an apostle, okay, by the way. All right? There are no more apostles, all right? Those are people sent out by Christ. But I think it would be pretty cool if I could come and heal you, all right? That'd be neat. I'd, I'd like to do it. I just, I don't think it's a biblical, biblical for today. But people are, I mean, this is an exciting time in the church here. And there's this overflowing, overwhelming joy. And then we see some, some, some cool stuff starts to happen too. Look at verse number 9. But there was a certain man named Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery, and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. So there's Simon the sorcerer. And Simon the sorcerer, all right, the town witch doctor. I mean, he's, I mean, he's, and he's a, by the way, and not only that, he's a local celebrity in Samaria. They, they worship him like he's a God, like he's somebody great. And he comes to the preaching service and God gets a hold of his heart and Simon gets saved. And so now Simon the sorcerer becomes Simon the Christian. I mean, that's pretty exciting, isn't it? Now it's great when anybody gets saved. But when you take somebody like that who is, a, who is a leader in the sinful world and God gets a hold of their heart and he breaks their heart and he changes them into something new, that's exciting to see the transformation. Yeah. Amen. To see Simon bringing all his occult books up there and stacking them up and burning them and, and, and you know, just getting rid of them and, and, and getting excited. Now Simon got a little confused and we'll see that. Uh, look at verse number 11. And to him they had regard, because of that long time he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the signs and miracles which were done. Now when the apostles, which were at Jerusalem, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in thy sight of God. Repent, therefore, of, this, of thy wickedness, and pray to God, if perhaps the thought of thy heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. 
Then answered Simon and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now we see Simon's the sorcerer gets straved and he starts to struggle a little bit. Why? Because he doesn't understand the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and how to receive it. And he thinks that he can just buy it. He's like, oh, well, I just made all this money. I just sold all my occult books, you know, down at a yard sale here. And I got all this money now. I want to buy this. I want this power that you have. And Peter stops him and says, do you think that the power of the Holy Spirit is something you can buy? I like that. The preacher straightens him out. I don't know everything, but you know what? Listen, folks, I've got one desire for your life. I want to help you with spiritual things. That's part of what God calls a preacher to do. Uh, that's my goal. That's my prayer. Listen, I don't know everything, and, I, and I'm, I'm 29 years old, all right? If I profess to know everything, you know that's not true. All right, I'll just be honest with you. I don't know everything about the Bible. But I'll guarantee you one thing. I love you, and I want to help you. I want you to succeed. And you know what? By the way, that should be all of our goal. If you're a mature Christian believer, that should be your goal. Aged men, aged women, teaching the younger men and young women in the church, encouraging them, helping them. You know what? I'm thankful for Sean Ham as a construction worker who, who got up on Saturday morning and drove over to my house and picked up me and my brother with my dad's permission. And he took us around and he, he, he taught us how to knock on doors and build a bus route. And you know what? He works 70, 80 hours a week just like anybody else. And he got up to invest in young people. And I owe him a debt. By the way, parents, let me encourage you. Let good, godly Christian people influence your young people. Amen. Now, you, gotta, you, you do. You have to, in our world, you've got you to make sure that you, you, let them, you let them, the right people, influence your young people. But you know what? I'm thankful my dad didn't just... I, I've seen parents take a kid and just say, only me. I'm the only person you can trust and listen to. Well, what happens when that parent is gone? And they can't trust a pastor, and they can't trust a godly Christian, and they can't trust. And I've seen people get real, real clannish, to where for the even even when their children become adults, they hold their children back, because their children are solely dependent on mom and dad as a 25, 30 year old. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Children are. This is this is not the message, but children are arrows in the hands of a mighty man, according to I believe it's Psalms 127. You know what? That mighty man pulls it and he points the direction, but once he lets it go, it's gone. Now, he can control the strength and he can control the direction by, by exercising and being strong himself. But you know what, parents? Our design, our children are not our own. They are God's. Amen. And they're in heritage. They're, we're, we're to steward them and raise them and point them in the right direction. But we are to, at some point, launch them out to live the life that God has for them. Amen. Anyway, I don't know how I chased that rabbit. It wasn't even in the notes to chase. But Philip is preaching and people are getting saved and there's great joy and there's an eager reception. I mean, wouldn't you like it? I mean, go to town and you start preaching and imagine going to a... Okay, ima just imagine this wild thought. You go to a, 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 a town and you plant a church. Okay, that's kind of a crazy thing, right? <laughs> I, I, can, I can see some of the Samaritans as Philip pulls into town. We already have enough churches in this town. Why doesn't he just come join one of them? I mean, there's plenty of synagogues. There's plenty of places to worship. I can see, I can see, I can see the, 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 the local Samaritan paper rolling out an ad against Philip. Philip preaching strange gospel, encouraging Jews not to be Jews, encouraging them to be Christians. How dare he? I mean, come on, aren't we all God's children? Amen. That's an ecumenical belief, by the way. You're not all God's children. You're either saved or you're lost, friend. You're either a child of God or you're a child of Satan. There's no, there's no in between. 
But you know, folks, truthfully, Philip comes and there's great joy and people are getting saved and the sorcerer is getting saved and there's a good reception and there's prominent sinners coming to Christ and God comes down and grabs Philip and says, I've got one black man in the desert I want you to go talk to. Now hang on and wait. Wait a minute, preacher. You mean God would pull Philip out of a whole city having revival to go witness to one man in the desert? Absolutely. That's what he did. Look at verse number 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go towards the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Anybody heard anything about Gaza recently? All right, it wasn't as populated. It's a much broader region in the Bible, by the way, than it is in a little strip in our world. But God takes Philip out of a, out of a mighty revival. Sorcerers are burning their books. Sorcerers are coming to Christ. I mean, people are getting help and there's joy. And God says, I want you to go to a desert. Now, think about that with me. What if God was blessing you in your life and then God said, I want to take you to a desert? You know what? How many of you have ever been to a desert? How many of you are just like, I'd love to live there forever, preacher? <laughs> Maybe a few, all right. <laughs> but you know what? Truthfully, there's a reason it's called desert, because it's deserted. <laughs> there ain't anybody there, right? <laughs> Except for a few people looking for UFOs, amen? <laughs> but you know what? God takes Philip out of this into this because there's one man who just happens to be on a chariot going back home sitting there reading the Bible and wanting to know more about God. By the way, I believe this with all my heart. You want to know more about God, God will reveal His truth to you. Amen. And one of the reasons that we as a church give people tracts, that we sow seed, that we tell, give people scripture, that we do all of these things is to make people aware of their need for God. Amen. You say, preacher, how many doors do you knock on to somebody get saved? Very few. It's not my purpose. My purpose is to get people thinking about their need for God. You know what I found out, though? There are some times where you knock on a door and you're talking to a person and the Lord gives you an opportunity and this person, and you say, if you were to die today, you know for sure to go to heaven. And they'll say, you know, this is the craziest thing. Just last night I was thinking about this and I was wondering. I was wondering if somebody could show me that. Now, what were they doing? They were wanting to know about God. And you think it was an accident God sent somebody to their door the next day? I don't either. By the way, that's what concerns me about America. Most people aren't looking for God. Amen. Most people aren't concerned about Him. There's a lot of people that are, and I'm thankful for that. Amen. But you know what? Most people, they don't, they don't, they don't, spend, one, they don't spend hardly a minute in their week thinking about God. And they don't spend hardly a minute a week thinking about their soul. You know what? I asked young people, if you were to die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? No young person's really thinking about death. But in our world, a lot of them are. Now. I mean, our world's kind of crazy. Amen. Uh, the, 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 the fastest growing age group for suicide in our nation right now is boys between the ages of 8 and 14. Amen. Because our world has gone insane. Folks, listen. By the way, three, four years ago showed it, didn't it? Yeah. People really are concerned about dying. And you know what? Truthfully, it's our job to go out and sow seed and let God get the increase. I can't save everybody, but I can go out and I can plant and I can water. And you know what? God will give increase. Amen. Amen. God grabs Philip 
Look at verse number 27. And he arose and went, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. All right, I want you to notice the eunuch. Number two, uh, we, we, number one, we looked at the context. Number two, we looked at the conversion. Here's the eunuch. He had come to Jerusalem, why? On business? No. He came to worship. Now, I don't know if you know where Ethiopia is on a map, right? All right, you know what? All right, it's in Africa. Okay, help me out here. Nod your head if you've got a pulse and you're still alive. Amen. All right, and if you look at Africa, it's pretty far away from Israel. I don't know where in Ethiopia he lived. Even if he lived at the very top, just south of where it would be modern-day Sudan, all right? Even if he lived at the bottom of Egypt, the top of Sudan there, uh, and, you know, and Ethiopian empire was pretty large. Even if he lived there, all right? He got on a chariot, and he traveled over 1,500 miles, and that's if he didn't take a boat, it'd be longer, all right? Because if he crossed the Red Sea, it'd be shorter. So this journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem would have taken months. And he did it just to come worship. You know what that shows me about the Ethiopian? He was a very religious man. And God loved him enough that even though he was devoted, even though he was dedicated, even though he was religious, God took Philip out of a great revival and put him in a desert because this guy was going home and he said he came all this way and he missed what he should have gotten in the first place. I'm going to make sure he doesn't miss it on the, on the trip back. And he pulls Philip out and he takes him down to the eunuch and Philip says, what are you reading? He, he's, Philip walks up and he's, he's reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, I don't know if the Ethiopian eunuch himself, I don't know what he looked like, but he was a pretty important man. So he probably had a, either a pretty decent bodyguard accompanying him, or he could handle himself. That's one of the, the two of the conclusions that I've come up with. Because if he's the charge of the treasurer of all of Ethiopia, he's a pretty important person in that community. And so I can see Philip, he's in the desert, and he sees the chariot afar off, and the Holy Spirit says, go join yourself to that chariot. Now, I don't know if you know anything about Bible history, and you probably do, and I'm assuming that you do. But typically, when people went to join themselves to a chariot, it was because they were trying to rob them. Especially in a desert. Why? Because normal people don't go to the desert to go howdy with somebody on a chariot. And so I can see the Ethiopian, maybe he looks up from reading the parchment that he's reading, and there's a guy coming. Tells a couple of his guards, hey, go check that guy out. Philip keeps walking. Those guys come up to him. I can see Philip saying, hey guys, uh, this is going to sound real crazy to you, all right? <laughs> but somebody called the Holy Spirit. An angel of the Lord came to me and told me to go talk to that guy sitting in the chair. Now, if you come to me today and said a preacher, an angel told me that I need to go sit down and talk to the President of the United States, I'm going to tell you you're crazy, all right? <laughs> but Philip didn't care about that. Philip didn't care what those people thought of him. Philip went. He joined himself to the chariot. Think about how silly Philip would have looked. And he joins himself to the chariot. He says, what are you reading? The guy says, how understandest thou what thou readest, is what he said. By the way, that's a good, that's a good way to, to, to point people. Let's look at Philip. Understandest what thou readest. And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he should come up and sit with him. 
in this conversion, I notice Philip, he discerns his biblical understanding. Understandest thou what thou readest? Here's a question I always ask people when I'm talking to them about Christ. If you die today, could you give me a Bible reason that you'd go to heaven? Not, not if you die, will you be in heaven? Because you know what most people are going to say? Yes. I ask them if they can give me a Bible reason. Why? Because if you can't give me a Bible reason, you're not going to heaven, friend. And Philip says in verse 32, the place of the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. This is Isaiah 53, by the way. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speakest the prophet, this of himself or of some other man. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Hey, you know what? Philip is asking the eunuch what he already knows so he can tell him what he clearly doesn't. And here's what Philip says. You know, I like Isaiah. He's like, I love this passage. And he reads it to him. And he says, but you know what? A few years ago, I was just like you. Did you know that? I was a Jew and I was worshiping in Jerusalem. And a couple of guys from my hometown, they told me about a man who claimed to be the Christ, the Messiah that Isaiah 53 is talking about. And Philip says, hey, you know what? For, for three years, I followed him. And I saw many proofs that he was who he said he was. By the way, he didn't have the gospel to go to. He couldn't take him to John chapter 3 and show him John 3.16. Right. That hadn't been written yet. And Philip is here, and, or they were just being written at this time, and Philip is here, and Philip is saying, listen, I, I, you know what? Isaiah is great, and Isaiah talks about the Messiah, but you know what? I have seen the Messiah. Yeah. I've been with the Messiah. He came to earth and he said, follow me. And I believed it and I followed him. And I watched him go around and I watched him heal people. And I watched him raise people from the dead. And I watched him cure blinded eyes. And I watched him lift lame people up. But the greatest thing I watched him do was I watched him walk around and forgive sins. Can you imagine that? Philip says, then I watched him as the people loved him and embraced him. Then I watched him as they rejected him. I watched him as they, they said, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. I watched him as they took him and they nailed him to a cross and he hung there and he bled and he suffered and died. Philip said, yeah, and then in shame I, for a few days I hid myself because I didn't know what would become of me. And on the third day, a, a lady came to us while we were hiding in a house and she said, he's risen. So Peter and Andrew went out to check it out and they couldn't find him and you know what craziest thing happened? Later on that day, Jesus Christ appeared to us. He talked to us. He showed us the piercings in his hands and his feet. Amen. And Philip is preaching unto him Jesus, by the way. And you know what he's saying when he's preaching him Jesus? He's telling him, listen, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He's the one you've been looking for. He's the only way to heaven. And you know what? Just a few weeks ago, maybe a year, it doesn't specifically say, he came back and he told us, listen, I, until I come back for you, I'm going to come back for you, but until I do, I want, you to, I want you to tell everybody that they should trust me as their Savior. Amen. So what happens? Verse number 36. I don't know if Philip was as fired up, but you know what? It doesn't matter if you yell it or if you tell it softly, if you're preaching Jesus, friend. It works. 
And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? A good question, isn't it? What's holding me back? What did Philip say? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, Read it with me. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Read it with me again. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, do you realize what he's saying when he says that? Because if you're not careful, you'll just say, well, a lot of people believe in Jesus. Well, Judas Iscariot believed in Jesus, but he's not in heaven. A lot of people that walked on the earth the same time Jesus did believed in him. That's not what the eunuch is saying. He's not, he's not saying he's believing in his existence. He's saying, I'm believing in his sufficiency. He's saying, all the stuff I got taught in Ethiopian church, I'm relinquishing. And when I switch from Ethiopian church to Jerusalem church, I'm relinquishing that too. The eunuch is saying, listen, Philip, all these things you've been telling me, I've been looking for this Messiah. I've been waiting for him to come. I've been studying the Old Testament. I've been studying Isaiah. I've heard about his sufferings. And this man that you follow, that you're talking about, I believe that he is the one. And you know what? And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, why did he baptize him? Because he believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. And friend, here, here, here's what I'm trying to teach us from the Bible this morning. Number one, that's a pretty good way to lead someone to Christ. Just obeying God and when God gives you an opportunity, witness to somebody. But you know what the second thing is? Baptism does nothing to save a person. Because if it did, Philip would have said, yeah, get in the water and you're saved. But he said, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is, you have to believe with all your heart. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then after he got saved, they went down into the water. All right? Now, I am, maybe this is just oversimplified logic to me, Okay? But do you realize in the Bible there was only one method of baptism? Only one. They were always baptized by immersion. You didn't pour. You didn't take this and put it on your hand and flick. They went into, both men went into the water, down into the water, and came back out of the water. Why? Because baptism is a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I've never seen anybody where they took him and they put the casket there and they took dirt and they poured it on top of him. And he said, Preacher, you're criticizing others. No, I'm not criticizing. I'm simply trying to get us back to the Bible. Amen. Salvation is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And baptism in the Bible is by immersion after someone gets saved as a testimony that they are saved. And friend, if you're in here and you have never done that, let me encourage you, just like the eunuch that says, what hinders me to be baptized? Well, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the only thing that can save you? Absolutely, I believe that. Well, then make, 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 let, why don't you let everybody else know? I remember the day that I got baptized. I got saved. I asked Jesus Christ to save me. And I got baptized. And there was a large church, and my dad was not in the service. He was in another service helping with the children's church. And I told the guys, I said, listen. I said, I do not want to get baptized until my dad is there. And they said, okay, we'll send somebody to get your dad. So they had a couple other people getting baptized that day, so I let them get baptized first. And I'm kind of looking, you know, and I still don't see my dad anywhere in the auditorium. And, you know what, truthfully, had I gotten baptized then, would I just been baptized, just as much baptized as I was without him seeing it? Yeah, but I wanted him to be there. 
and I wanted him to see me. Why? Because I wanted everybody to know that I had accepted Christ as my Savior, especially my dad. And I remember standing there as a 14-year-old boy. preacher took me and said, This is James Young upon your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. I baptize thee, my son, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in death, raised to walk with him in the newness of life. And when I stood back up, you know, there's the churches out there watching, and I turn, and I see the staircase. Standing at the top of the stairs, there's my dad. And I just went up and gave him a big old hug. And you know what, folks? Listen. If that did anything for me, it made me not ashamed of who I was. Amen. Can you see the big old eunuch trusting Christ as his Savior? And can you see all the guys that were with him? Can you see him going to water and saying, I want to be baptized? Can you see all those other guys going, oh, what is he doing? Has he lost his mind? I mean, he's, a, he's the treasurer of, the, of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. What is he doing dipping himself in the water just because he heard about some guy who put himself on a cross and, and died? That doesn't sound very powerful. I'm going to go back and I'm going to trust in the, the myriad of Ethiopian gods and they're going to get me there. But the eunuch said, listen, I don't care what you guys think. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. I believe with all my heart I'm getting baptized. Christian, let me encourage you. If you've been saved and you've never been baptized scripturally, why not, why not think about doing that? If you've never been saved scripturally, why not get saved scripturally? Amen? Because mm -hmm. that's, you, you know what? You can get baptized, baptized 100,000 times if you want to, but that doesn't do any good. Amen. It is a profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm glad for this moving story about God's love for one black man in the desert.